the Deep Democracy Podcast. I'm Winelia Rivera. And I'm Gina Cristo. On this podcast, we look at what's happening in both local and national politics from a different perspective, what we call deep democracy, the belief that those at the margins should be at the center, and that including all voices gives us a more complete view of the system. We look at everything from gerrymandering to abortion, immigration to climate change through that lens, which means that what you hear on the show is going to be a little different than what you hear on most political shows. Or a lot different. We hope you enjoy it, and we hope to hear from you too. Now, let's get to today's show. So I know you watch the debates. Girl, not only did I watch the debates, I actually watched the debates with the most awesome people in the world. Uh, they were a group of reproductive justice activists. Oh my God. From all around the country. And let's just say our drinking game was pretty freaking on point. <laughs> Want to know what our words were? I do, yeah. Um, they were white supremacy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. socialism, mm. Medicare for all. Oh God. Obama. <laughs> Yo, like. Who could stand after that? Like, literally, honestly. <laughs> People like 30 minutes in were like, guys, we're going to have to just like everybody just go at their pace because like we actually still have to work tomorrow. Um, because let's just say with the Medicare for all question, which is what started off the debate, we were kind of like, oh, shit, like this is really going to be a thing. I know. Um, but it was the exercise was great. It's kind of wild that Medicare for all is now like a central tenant to the Democratic Party conversation. If you had told me that three years ago, I would have laughed in your face. I girl. I would have laughed. I know. Isn't it crazy? And like and what's crazy to me, too, is that like. It's such a the 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 debate stage what it showed when it comes to this particular issue and probably a couple others actually we're still not asking the right questions. I know. It's like it's still too much like gotcha questions when it comes to healthcare mm-hmm. and it's like yo other than like other besides like income inequality like in climate change this is the issue mm-hmm. that like are it's impacting everybody so mm-hmm. like why are we like with these gotcha questions? It just doesn't make any sense. You know why? I'll well, tell you why. Please tell me Let me why. just put on my little tinfoil hat. Although I think it's true. It's because the people who fund moderate Say to conservative it. donors own CNN, ABC, MSNBC. They control the narrative. They control the narrative. And, um, you know, while it Bern- always comes back to political funding. It right? does. Or and funding of any kind. Right. And where it comes from. Right? right. And like, while I do think somebody needed to pass Bernie Sanders a cough drop and he probably should have, like, t- taken it down a notch, all the words he was saying was right. They, they were, you know, like the fact that pharmaceuticals were advertising, fossil fuels were advertising during the debates. It just tells you the values of the channel exactly. that we're receiving our news from. And we're not and we're not willing yet to have the real conversation around why these issues, we can't advance them. It's because the corporate greed right. in which these, the you know, our health insurance system works in doesn't, they don't want to serve the bigger mission and the greater good of actually healing people. Right. Right. And I like to use the word healing because just giving people ibuprofen. Right. Or nothing at all. Right. Doesn't really work. Right. Um, and I think that that's and honestly, let's be honest, to bring it to Elizabeth Warrens, who I who I actually think had the strongest um, the strongest performance out of out of everyone. Um, that's why she, she's rising up the polls, man. Like yeah. she's getting in the face of, of, of Wall Street and, and the corporate greed, because the truth is that we can talk and about tech greed, too. And I mean, Ooh, I love it. That is the that is the new titan of industry. Yeah. Right. A hundred years ago, it was Ford. It's not going to be Ford in the next hundred years. Right. And the truth is, the tech bros in the Silicon Valley is not putting in their fair share. Mm -hmm. And and most of these companies are. not And for all of you who somehow think that individually you are you are equal to a corporation, Mm -hmm. you're not. I know. And you're not. We think you are. I mean, 
we think from you are. From a perspective of dignity. But, uh, but, <laughs> but the, in terms the, of our political system, not so much. What do you think? So I know I have my Elizabeth Warren bias that mm-hmm. I'm unapologetic about. What do you think about the fact that people say she doesn't have a plan for health care? The truth is, is that her plan for health care starts with holding corporations accountable and holding the healthcare industry accountable. Yeah. You can talk until so you're blue in the face about what are the different types of provisions and laws that we can we can pass to have better healthcare outcomes. Mm-hmm. We have plethora of research for that. Mm-hmm. What we don't have is political will or the desire to hold the healthcare industry responsible. Mm-hmm. I agree, and that was an excellent use of the word plethora. Oh, thank you. Very <laughs> impressed. I'm just like you know, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Like folks really need to pay attention down the pipeline as she actually starts to release more. As I always like to say, is more meat and potatoes mm-hmm. as it relates to what she talks about holding corporations and, and corporate greed accountable. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is that that is at the core of why our healthcare system doesn't work, why our education system doesn't work, and why our transportation system doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. You know, and um, you know, and to round out the conversation with some of the other folks that were there. First of all, I want to give some shout out and some love to some of the debate moderators. First of all, Jorge Ramos. Oh my God. Mira Jorge. <laughs> Te tengo que hablar en español. Jorge, I need to start this conversation with you in Spanish. So for those of you that don't understand, that don't don't know who Jorge Ramos is before last week's debate, I need you guys to understand. Jorge has been raising all of us for decades. That's who Jorge Ramos is. He's been on TV since ever since I can remember. Like literally, that's been who Jorge is. And to see the way that he asked these questions on immigration was just completely like just, it was, I was just there clapping. The way that he just held Biden's feet to the fire. And there was someone else too who he like. It's like, so you want to take credit for the parts that you that, right. that you want to, but like. What about the bad things? What about the bad things? I just right? was, I was really proud. I was really proud of all the journalists that night, honestly. You know, of course, there's always going to be the crappy, short, you know, shorthanded questions. Like, for example, how every time they ask people to judge about race, he basically says some kind pleasantries and then nobody follows up on the fact that, like, he has a racial issue in the town that he is the mayor of. Um, did you also see this week that they, that the Black Lives Matter met with him after the most recent shooting in... With who? With Pete. And it lasted 25 minutes because they were like, you're not listening to us. Wow. A political meeting that lasts 25 minutes? That tells you everything. I know. I know. But anyways, yeah. um, bigger takeaway. I just want to share a few points um, that it's important for... Everyone that wants to see a Democrat win. First of all, if we are going to relitigate the entire Obama administration, guys, this is not this is how we lose an election. Don't do don't tell me it's because it's a woman. Don't tell me it's because of age. Don't tell me it's because of being too left. If we lose this election cycle, it's going to be for a few things. First of all, let's not have a relitigation about the Obama years. Let's not. We all we on this show are very open and honest about the shortcomings of Barack Obama. I think that, you know, on immigration, he definitely fell very short and created the systems that allowed Trump to come in and separate families. Fine. Healthcare. I have some feelings about that. I think they could have gone further. I think they capitulated. However, we did the ACA is a revolutionary act and the fact that the first black president was able to deliver that is a fucking miracle. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I don't think it's time to relitigate. But that's being said, that doesn't mean that Joe Biden's shitty comments from like his time in the Senate are untouchable. Oh, that one, wasn't the administration. But that and but but that was a different that was a different right. context. Right. Because you right. were being actually asked, like, what parts are you going to hold yourself accountable to? Right. And how are you going to do something different? Right. That's different. Right. Yeah. But but actually, try, like, but like. What he is doing 
is he is making this this his run about Obama. I know. And if we make if we, if Biden makes his presidential run about Obama, We're gonna the lose. whole party loses. Mm-hmm. Because then you're going to ask all all these Democrats to go on record tarnishing eight years of the last Democratic presidency yeah. at a time when that's just not helpful. So first, let's not do that. Hard and pass. Everyone should be hard, asked the hard questions of how Democrats will be better. Mm-hmm. Yes, but let's not do it in context of Obama. Mm-hmm. And Biden, please stop using your black friend. Mm-hmm. Let him be. Mm-hmm. Let your black friend alone. He's trying to run a goddamn foundation. He's trying to have a nice you Netflix know, series. You damn fucking activists. You know, give him his Netflix series. I have no idea what the man is really up to, but writing his memoirs. Let's just let it be. I know. So that's one thing. Well, second, Democrats. If you think that having a public fight about socialism versus centrism to, in front of the country is going to lead to a November victory, you are absolutely wrong. You are not reading the. Y'all room. need to go to a bar. Y'all need to go to coffee houses. You need to, you know, have those conversations on the back end. But right now, these conversations about you're too socialist, you're too that, you're literally giving away. You're giving away the barn door. I know. Between the Obama thing and the socialist thing, it's literally the GOP talking points. I know. So why are we doing it? I don't know. And I think part of it is because those talking points are stewarded by the by the networks that are covering like that's the tricky piece of it, too. But here's my Thank whole thing. Like my whole thing is, OK, you're telling me. So the data shows that if you explain and break down Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, like these progressive ideals, if you break them down without the labels, right, the American people overwhelmingly support it, particularly Medicare for all. You're telling me that the Democratic Party, who elected one of the first black presidents, who has one of the most diverse coalition of people, can't get its shit together enough to message like the survival of our country? Fuck you. Literally, fuck you. Like, I'm sorry, but Nancy Pelosi and the standard leadership is just so... They just want to keep it the way it is. It's it's the death rattle of their generation's access to power, and I'm tired of it. And it's for the same reason why they are looking the other way when it comes to the attack on right. on abortions, the attacks against transgender nonconforming people, right. like the attacks on undocumented people. Right. Like these three categories of folks are the ones that are at the front line of this transition. Right. And we gotta we gotta we gotta hold Democrats accountable for the absence and for the silence yeah. and for saying that oh our tent is big enough. To accept people, to accept Democrats that are, are so so on these issues. Right. It's, no, that, that's a problem. The tent isn't big enough. The tent isn't big enough to support people who don't support the base of this party. This is like do or die time. I just, I can't believe we're having these conversations, but I guess I should because I'm a Democrat, right? And this is what we do is fuck this up. But like, I just don't understand. Well, I guess I do understand because, you know, like Elizabeth Warren can come out and be like, fuck Medicare or I'm pro Medicare for all, fuck the corporations. But Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and, you know, I don't know if Amy Klobuchar has donors, but they all have to go back to their donors and be accountable for that. And they, they don't have the, the freedom to do that. I, I don't know. I just, I hate to say that it all comes down to money and politics, but it does. It doesn't. I mean, look, this is what we, this is one of the central things on this, on this podcast. You know, you can always trace it back to the funding. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you know, money is the holy grail in the North Star of this country. Mm-hmm. And it's what, it's the number one ideological thing that everyone, mm-hmm. listen to me, mm-hmm. everyone agrees to. Well, and it's the same thing as like the platforms that they're able to stand on, but also like, okay, Elizabeth Warren has 
has, as of today, taken 60,000 individual selfies, right? Do you know why she was able to stand in Washington Square Park for four hours? Because she didn't have a high-dollar fundraiser that she had to run off to. And let me geek out a little bit for our viewers. So you guys have to understand. So how many how many selfies has she taken up? 60,000 as so of 60, today. So 60,000 as of today. Okay, so those are 60,000 individual pictures. So we have to assume, right, that not all these pictures are with one individual, right? Because some people like to do group shots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what do people do once they get those shots? They, they put it on their Facebook. Instagram. They put it on their Twister. 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 Guys, Nana. it's Friday. Sorry, <laughs> Nana had a moment. Um, I think in my mind, I like combined Twitter and Instagram all in Spanish, and it came out as Twister. Twister. But... Trademark. Guys, from like a voter science perspective, do you understand the reach smart. on this? Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of shit that like, you know, the the traditional folks in the in the Democratic Party will say, oh, let the kids just fucking do what the kids are doing. <laughs> Guys, this is how we talk. Yeah. Because you might think that these are the kids, but no. My mom, who's 73 years old, when I send her shit and I send her a meme that's political, she consumes it. And mm-hmm. you know what she does after that? She puts it in the immigrant WhatsApp chat channel. <laughs> For my family. Because <laughs> guess what? Yeah. Half of us vote. Yeah. It's relational. They're eligible. So mm-hmm. that is why I'm geeking out. I think it's really cool. And I know that I have not made my, my, my I'm not going to make a choice um, in terms of like sort of what side I'm going to side on in terms of like the Democratic primary. I mean, I'm going to vote, obviously. Um, I guess I'll share that in another episode, but not yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts, y'all. It's really important. You so, got to keep it to the chest. I know, just I just love too big. You know, I just love so hard. I love you to know, be inspired. Guys, I, think I feel like you're learning a lot about our personalities <laughs> about on us. this one. So, Gina, let's talk a little bit about what it looks like post-debate, right? Mm. So, like, the dust has settled a little mm-hmm. bit. There's, like, talk about, like, you know, people are starting, even though there's still another debate left, obviously. I think, right. Is there, there's at one least more. one more debate left, right? In October. Um, yeah, in October. Thank you for the curve. But then the I think, wow, shit, is that it before Iowa? Yeah. That's basically what I'm saying. Holy camoly. So... Here's the thing. I think uh, Klobo's got to go. She's like hanging on with strings here. Just take your comb and go home, my friend. She's uh, the, the starring actress of uh, Get Out. For, she gets the Get Out Award oh uh, for the primary debates. It's so real. It's so real. I like she literally just like came up with like a list of one liners and just like ticked them off as she went throughout the debate. It was embarrassing on behalf of white women everywhere. Like I was be I was so embarrassed by her. I was like, shit. Um, I think Julian killed it at the debates. I know, man. And like all these people that are coming for him saying that, that he was disrespectful. First of all, there was a common a common denominator amongst most of those people. They all used to work for Obama. Yeah. And first of all, since when is Ron motherfucking Emmanuel? The standard of behavior. Do you understand this man put a dead fish in a in a in a in a fucking like in the U in the United yeah. States Postal Service yeah. and sent it to another campaign as part of like campaign tactics? Yeah. This is the man. He also covered up the murder of a teenager in Chicago. Thank you. That is so much more real. So like I don't give a fuck what he thinks. That is much more real. I think it was beautiful to he see. He did such a bad job that Chicagoans decided to trust a black lesbian. I know. I'm just saying, y'all. And inform and they put in um term limits for the mayor. Oh, did they? They did. I did not know because that. He was Go gonna, fucking Chicago. He was going to run again and basically they did the data on the term limits poll thing mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, if we win, we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be eligible to serve another term. So he was like, fuck it. Yeah. Oh man, well go Chicago. On I know, they're know killing it out shit. there. Um, but um, no, but Julian fucking killed it. Um, look, I'm going to say it right now, actually. I love me some motherfucking Julian Castro. <laughs> I know he ain't going to win, but my little ass in Massachusetts, you know who I'm going to vote for? The motherfucking Julian Castro. Um, it doesn't mean in the grander scheme of, like, 
politics and strategy. I'm going to be out here in these streets talking about how y'all need to vote for him. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, depending on where you live in the country, your vote has a different level of different level. Of fucks. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. little ass in Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. I'm literally just voting out my ideology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. Um, Bernie, Warren, what's up? Everybody keeps up. Bernie, Warren, Biden. I think it's what's, Bernie, what's going Warren, on? Biden. I th- Bernie, Warren, Biden. I think the working party is in the is in the distant fourth. No, you know what Pete's strategy is though? It's to keep his head down and not make any waves and just keep raising all that fucking bullshit money. And he's gonna perform he's well running in for Iowa. A VP seat. No, dude, I think he thinks he's gonna be president. I really, do you really think he I does? do. Yeah, Damn, because to be a white man, I know, God. man, a white to man be with full Hillary with donors so, to be full of so much fucking arrogance. To... It's sanitized gayness. Sorry, oh, heteronormative. It is so gay representation. Guess it I'm is. grateful for it, but not really. Um, um, the thing, the big thing that's the du- that's settling in the dust after the debate is like Kamala Harris, man. Man. She is not doing well. I mean, look, she looks cool as a cucumber every time she's up there, and I love it. What did you think of her debate performance? I mean, I thought I could have drank some wine with her. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me unpack that for folks that you know, don't know me as well as Gina. I mean, honestly, it just felt like I was chilling. Like, it felt like she was on the stage, like, just like, you know, shooting some zingers. You know, shit was kind of funny. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Some shit was pretty funny that she said. It was. But I'm kind of like, are you on the same stage with everybody else? Yeah. Like, because, it's, you know, I get you, you know, that you pull well head to head with Trump. but. Right. That's not. That's not why we're here. That's actually not why we're here. Yeah, and I think that that is a part of. I think that is a losing strategy for any candidate at this point because clearly, yes, this is. Those are for the candidates that are still operating from the frame that voters want to hear about electability. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, that's what it's about. It's yeah. about that. It's about who can beat Trump. But I've I've kept on saying this to people all the time. That cannot be the answer. That cannot be the question right no. now. It's about what country do we want to be, and what president, and what and what party can get us th- can get us there. Not even honestly, I'm gonna take a step back. Not even get us there. Yeah. Rectify the bullshit and yeah. fire that is happening in our country. We have a justice department that's become the Department of Lawyers for the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. We don't have a State Department, which basically means that we no longer have the international standing in the world. Angela Merkel is referred to as the free leader of this of the of the world now. Yeah. Like, do you all remember? That's actually kind of how they referred to the president of the United States as like offhand for like ever. Justin Trudeau, his blackface picture just came out. Oy. So there goes down whoever was le- the Listen, last white elected official, that, white, white, white head of state in North America that, that people liked. That white man neoliberal had look, it coming. I, I don't never, give a look, shit. I, I don't give a shit either, <laughs> so you know. But I just found it hilarious. I, I was like, y'all, you know, I am here for whoever dug, took the time to keep on digging through the receipts because yeah. they knew they were going to find they some knew. shit. So that lady was on NPR and oh, they were she? like, how did you figure this oh, out? thank God for knowing this. I know, and she was like, literally, it's been a rumor in Vancouver for years and finally I just like went to the library and asked for the yearbook. I was like, God bless women. Bless, you know, God we just, we women. ask questions and then God we do. Bless women. We ask questions, we find hints and then we, and then we, we solve look. problems. We look. Elect us. Yes. Elect us. <laughs> I mean, you let your mothers lead. Yeah. They have to do everything, do they just not? Just saying. Um, just saying. So, I know there's been a lot of talk about the state of um, Bernie's campaign. Um, love to hear what you think about that, Gina. Well, after the Working Families Party endorsement, you know, I saw some really negative, dirty shit from his supporters. It was it was I, racist. It was xenophobic. It was misogynist. It was worse than <laughs> Bernie bro shit from, like, 2016. And the thing is, though, I don't feel like it's coming from his camp. Um I don't. I mean, not his official camp. No, you know, in terms oh, of, like, no, no, people no. On payroll, no. No, it's know? not like it's not, but it's like his supporters. Which but think is sh- about it, though. You think I it's know. Russia? 
do I think it's Russia? Do I think Figuring it's Russia? Figuring out a wedge between Warren and 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 and, and Bernie's God damn motors. it. It's fucking Russia. No. Guys, think- I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm just came up with this shit right now. <clears throat> I haven't even fucking thought. I haven't read this shit anywhere. Oh, I haven't looked it up. No. But let's go back to what happened in 2016. No. When we saw a lot of sh- a lot of crazy activity happening around like black black voter suppression. Yeah. We know that now that the Russians were targeting black voters. Yeah. But why wouldn't they be attacked? why wouldn't they target like young democratic left voters? Oh no. Is it Russia? Uh, guys, again, a complete rumor here. You know, it's interesting because my retort to that is that I saw IRL people being... What a, did you mean? What's IRL? In real life. Oh, okay. In real life, Nana. Some, she, she, you know, you know it's all I right. I know other listeners want to know what it means. So. <laughs> um, I saw real life people being douches about it that I like are verified accounts, but mm. maybe they were inspired by Russian people. I don't know. Who knows? Look, who knows? I mean, Be look, nice. The, look, at the end of the day, like... For folks that don't know, I think what's important to know is that the Working Families Party is a movement or a movement party mm-hmm. um, where you have to be a member to be a part of this party, and mm-hmm. it's in New York. It is traditionally part of the social social ju- social justice um, uh, folks that are a part of it. It's usually organizations, individuals. They run their own candidates up and down the ballot. So mm-hmm. I think that's important for context. Mm-hmm. For most of its for most of its existence, it was. Um, a white male cisgender leadership body. Mm-hmm. Um, over the course of the last two years, it's become a multiracial, multi, you know, multi, mul- multiple identity um, organization. Mm-hmm. Last time, under the white cisgendered male body, they decided to go with Bernie Sanders. Right. Fine. Your members made a decision. This time, same process, they decide to go with Elizabeth Warren. Why are activists like Sean King, like pressuring working families people, saying, just release the transcripts and let us know how this decision was made. No, guys, that's not how it happens. You have to become a you have, you actually get paid dues to be a part of this. Right. Do you know the meetings that Democrat that people like? Do you know the meetings that people had to go to to process this shit to get to an endorsement? Yeah, it probably took months. Like, honestly, probably mm. like a year. A year. Like a year to design it and yeah. another year to actually go through the process well, because you're Sean actually King you're also. actually interviewing all the candidates. Yeah, you're bringing together members from across organizations yeah. in the state of motherfucking New York. Yeah. And this is the shit that people get. Yeah. And and I recently and I saw today a letter by different um, different leaders across the across, sort of across the black political spectrum um, actually wrote a, an official letter to the Bernie Sanders campaign asking them to send some sort of a message out to their supporters more mm-hmm. broadly mm-hmm. to cut this fucking behavior in the ass. Because, look, regardless of whether it's like, you know, an algorithm that is being now twisted by 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 foreign powers that we don't know mm-hmm. um, or it's real people. It has to be a combination of both. Right. Yeah. So like, just stop the shit. Just stop. It's and only like, gonna hurt us. Look, at the end of the day, Warren and, and Bernie are are making the party better. Yeah. And I really do believe that. Right. Like the truth is, is that Bernie ran a campaign last time that drove issues that now are really have really had an impact in the kind of conversation we're having as a party. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Elizabeth ran her own campaign in terms of like between 2016 and now in terms of like positioning herself to be in a position. Mm-hmm. I know that's a lot of positions in one sentence, right? Makes sense though. To run the kind of campaign that she's running now. Mm-hmm. Some people might say that she was a hypocrite because, you know, she continued to raise money before before this year in the normal way. Listen, the folks in Kamala Harris's camp who are spreading that shit need to simmer the fuck down. I know. Talk about hateration. Because yo. y'all had your own opportunity to do that. She's got a Senate campaign. Like, I don't want to hear it. And if y'all actually hired some, like, grassroots, like, political people from right. the beginning, y'all would have been doing that. You know they just hired, like, a state director yeah. in California. Yeah, I'm know. like, and that's your fucking Super Tuesday state. 
because they thought it was a lock for her, and now she's in fourth it's place. Definitely not a lock, you know. Well, the repro, a lot of the repro folks I was with last week, a lot of them. There's a, good, a huge contingency from Cali, yeah. Because you know, I was walking around here doing like my own like people's pool. <laughs> so, the one that you're what do you think about pool. the debate? So, who's your person? It's like, like I know the government's not gonna set us all free, but who do you think? Is gonna... <laughs> <laughs> That's such an important caveat in that That's room. Such an important caveat. It's like liberation's not gonna come from voting. Right. I get that, and I agree a hundred percent. But what do you think about? But this also. One? <laughs> But really, it was. I was more curious to really ask the California folks, and everybody was like, "Not one person gave me like, like." Or they're like, "Oh no, she's DOA, dead on arrival." That's so crazy. And obviously, these are like. Deep is it just because of her prosecutor stuff, or is it because of what she like? Why? What's the source? It's like it's it's a prosecutor stuff, and and honestly, a lot of folks are just like the communities of color are just not big fans of her. Oh, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, listen. It's it's a tough line to walk when you're a woman of color coming up it in is. politics. Like I and get look, it, and it's but... hard and it's hard for former prosecutors to make that to make those kinds of runs and like and they just are right. And I yeah. think that it, it'll come back to you know what we mentioned earlier in this podcast, which is that look, she decided to run a general strategy campaign um, yeah. as if there's isn't freaking like eleven other people running with her, right? So right, you know, she had some good moments, and you know, I um. My household is a Warren Kamala household. Ooh, I love it. Yes, my, I love my it. My partner is is very into Kamala. They have a hat and everything. I don't even have a Warren hat yet. It's a whole. I thing. mean, the the the, the swag that the Honestly, Harris people have is pretty freaking the dope. The Kamala hat's very well fitted. I might well just fitted. buy a hat just because no, I think it's do dope. Don't do that. Might, I'll do it after the cycle's over. I know it would match your outfits really well. You know, because there's so you. many colors. There's purple, red, and thank yellow. Thank you, sis. I know. Thank you. But you know what's funny? I had some folks like that I never would have picked up on it. I would have because I, you know, not not as uh, I, I didn't see the 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 political propaganda from that era. Um, but that a lot of the colors um, that she uses are actually Shirley Chisholm. Shirley's, yeah. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. Like a lot of Cali people were telling me that. Listen, she had a sexy ass rollout. Oh, me no. She sexy. definitely had like the best presidential rollout by far, and it harkened back both subtly and uh, uh, like upfrontly if that's a word to Shirley but like I just don't know what she stands for I don't know either she calls herself a progressive but she can't defend Medicare for all I can't I can't you know I will say as a survivor of sexual assault like the way that she cross-examined Kavanaugh was like pretty important for me Um, and that's why initially I was supporting her but I just don't know who she is and what she stands for and the thing is Elizabeth Warren has the receipts look I need in my optimistic framing of all of this She'll be a great head of Department of Justice to or restore Attorney that motherfucker. General. Or Attorney General. That's what I really meant. Attorney yeah. General. Whatever. You know. Yeah. Well, we need someone to clean up that place yeah, and put it back in order do. again. She'd be a fun Secretary of State too. Oh my God. Can you imagine? She'd be dope. I know. <laughs> Actually, she'd be so. Oh my God. That would be her great. and fucking Putin. Oh my God. It would be like the face off of the century. Oh my fucking God. I would pay to see like, it. Like I'd fucking pay money. All right. All right. All right. So we're gonna do <laughs> Warren Castro, Kamala as AG. Oh no. Excuse me. Kamala as uh, Secretary of State and then uh, I have a confession to make go for it I don't hate Cory Booker anymore well you know I've never hated him I know I think I mean he can be a little bit of a cornball yeah. I mean but I think I would think that about most people that are kind of like Cory I, I would like him in the cabinet I think that is where I'm at which is a far journey for me I think he can give the um, don't we have an official poem when they're doing the inauguration do we yeah there is an official poet he could read it he can read it yeah. I feel like he'd have so much passion I know <laughs> All right. All right, so I want to move us to the, the next. The climate strikes being led by our amazing youth. Um, 
particularly Greta is in the house. Uh, uh, uh. But the thing, oh my God, man. Okay, so everybody I think who listens to this podcast probably knows who Greta is. She's 16 years old. She's from Sweden. And she had an awesome TED Talk in 2018 about the absolute crisis that this country is in. Um, Greta has Asperger's and she says it's her superpower because it allows her to just like speak very honestly about what's going on. I love her. And she's so right. That little girl, I shouldn't call her a little girl because she's 16. That fierce young woman young woman had a 17 a flotilla of 17 boats and each of the sails had themes of sustainable growth and they they uh sailed from Europe to New York City for her to address the UN and she's just out here like she met with Senate lawmakers and they were like you're so amazing you're so great and she was like please keep your praise to yourself this isn't about running for office this is about our lives and like, listen, they said it in that corny song, "The children are our future, man." Look, it was youth. It was youth activists that led the civil rights movement. It was a youth activist that led the anti-war movement um, in this country, and it's not. And it's going to be youth activists that lead us to this climate transition. Hundred percent. And it's 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 our job for those of us uh, that understand that um, to create the space for like these folks, for these for these young folks, excuse mm-hmm. me, um, to come in and do what they got to do. Yeah, you know, that's like my 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 simple and personal philosophy on that. I recall a trip I did earlier this year, um, you know, as part of our work here. And uh, we went to um, to Oslo, Norway, and to see the fabric of a, of a country that's actively being shaped by their youth who, like, just once a week, because it's what they do, they just protest downtown. Once a week, they get released early. It's what they do. They get released early? Yep. And they have, they have like, they do music, they maintain their message. And this is a country that's like, you know, has already made, like said, we're stopping fossil fuels and we're like transitioning, right? So amazing. It, you know, look, at the end of the day, there's many countries in US, in other parts of Europe as well that are moving in this direction. But the reality is, is that we don't have an international community that is doing this. Mm-hmm. We're always going to be in this position, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, for those of you that so care so much about immigration and you don't want people coming in, how about you care about climate change? Because that's what that's what's moving. That's people. what's moving people. That is going to create the greatest migration in the na- in it's the, the world reason history. why where we are where we are right now. Yeah, you know. So, but I just want to just give my hats off, and I know that today in particular, um, folks are are um, walking out, walking out all throughout the not just the country but the world. So, like, just look for the images, man, and let's follow. Sometimes the real sign of a leader is knowing when to follow, and this is one of them for real. Well, this month's dumpster fire is kind of a surprise. I can't believe we're having this fucking conversation again, and I'm already lit about it. Uh, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer this week was quoted as saying the Democratic Party has room for pro-life Democrats. This was in reaction to uh, AOC endorsing Marie Newman over Lipinski, my enemy. This is in uh, Illinois. Yeah, Illinois 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's 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 ridiculous. In 2008, Rahm Emanuel and Chuck Schumer were out there recruiting pro-life 
Democrats to Congress. So we're not that far removed from this like bullshit idea that the Democratic Party should host and hold pro-life people. However, we now have more women than ever. More, We have a pro, pro-choice majority in Congress right now for the first time ever. And this motherfucker wants to come out here and be like, no, stay Lipinski, please, conservative Democrats. I, mean, I actually think that we need that kind of recalibration because I'd rather someone like Dan, Dan Lipinski be a moderate Republican in the Republican Party yeah. than be a Democrat in the Democratic Party. I agree. Because that's how, and that's how you really like bring back bipartisanship because the reality is, is that you need moderate Republicans. Yeah. You do. And that, that just doesn't exist in the, in the, in the GOP. And that's like the recalibration that needs to fucking happen. Like totally, it it needs to be a litmus test. Like to me, civil rights Mm -hmm. of all identities, Mm -hmm. of all identities, Mm -hmm. in addition to abortion rights and a woman's right to, to the, all women's rights, Mm -hmm. all Oh, 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 all of them, all of them to, to autonomy, to, the, to, to your bodily right to make decisions about mm-hmm. how and when you want to have a family mm-hmm. and with whom. Mm-hmm. Those should be the core litmus test of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Everyone else should be a moderate dep- like Republican. It's OK. Let's have that conversation. And also not for nothing, but women are the base of the fucking party and we need abortions. We need abortions. And also, like, I'm not... Uh, this totally walks back any capacity for the Democratic Party to be unapologetic about access to abortion. People should not have to be ashamed or say only once when it's an emergency when you have abortion. Look, it's a the, simple it procedure. Look, at the end of the day, there's eight to nine states right now that are, that are either having abortion restrictions mm-hmm. that have gone through, mm-hmm. that are being contested in the in our in our U.S. federal courts. Um, there are states like Louisiana where they're actually going to put like they're 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 going to put a constitutional amendment on their ballot to actually change their constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like literally, like literally, right? So at a time when this is happening, and it's happening in the southern, and it's happening in a block of southern, of southern states and Ohio. So I want to just mm-hmm. say that because that is a reality, basically the south um, at this point. But you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, well, I mean, let's me not, you know, it is what it is. We got conservative pockets everywhere, it's more some more than others. But really, what this says is that these constituencies and these people don't matter, right? 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 I'm like, and at the end of the day, like. It, we need to have a more nuanced conversation about what our politics actually means. And the reality is, is the wedge issues is what makes you a Democrat and it's what makes you a Republican. Yeah. That is how it cuts. Yeah. You can't have them both ways. And that's why I, I love meeting Republicans and will tell you straight up, mm-hmm. I am socially liberal. Mm-hmm. And that is all. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy to be a Republican. That means something. Yeah. And I mean, I don't like that. That tells me I'm not those people, but those people need to exist. This is where I can agree with you. And Mm -hmm. this is where we're not going to agree. But at least he's on the other side. Gina, he's not not... in my same kitchen table. Mm -hmm. So that's why the party's never going to go anywhere, because you make a tent so damn big with no real litmus test that that's why we can't reach consensus. And that's why we when we're in power, we can't push shit. That's why. When you mentioned the disappointment around the ACA, around mm-hmm. the the, the, the mm-hmm. healthcare bill, mm-hmm. those were the those were the people that came. No, I know. That's why we didn't get the single payer option. No, I know. Also, uh, that's why we're gonna primary your motherfucking ass. Get the fuck out. Get out until it actually happens. Because that's the part where we gotta. We're not. We're not taking no no taking back on that at the end of the day. Because mm-hmm. party elites got us here, and they're not gonna get us out of here. Correct. They're just trying to like. Hold in their their power, and that's it. And that's all I got to say about that. Fuck that. I'm really 
excited for our guest today. Uh, today we're going to be interviewing Tammy Sawyer. She's currently the Shelby County Commissioner in District 7 in Memphis, Tennessee. She grew up in Memphis and graduated from the University of Memphis, and she also spent a year at Howard University in law school. She's worked for Teach for America since 2015, and she overhauled the chapter's curriculum to help teachers understand how racism and poverty affect their students and community. Tammy was a high-profile Memphis activist and was one of the main organizers behind Take Him Down 901, the civic-led push to remove statues honoring the Confederacy from public space. Her first run for public office was in 2017 for state representative, where she lost by 650 votes. The next year, she ran for county commissioner, raised 150000 ran a movement-building campaign, and won a competitive Democratic political with over 50% of the vote and won a general landslide with over 81%. After she was elected to county commissioner, Tammy was viewed as a Democratic rising star until she decided to run for mayor of Memphis. Ignoring the choruses of Wait Your Turn, Tammy has run a movement building campaign to become the next mayor of Memphis, letting people know that hashtag we can't wait. Hello. Hey, is this Tammy? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Hey, Tammy. It's Familia. How's it going? Thank you for taking this this time with us today. No, it's great. I'm watching the climate march through my uh, mm. office window. I'll head down there after I talk to y'all. Mm. So it's all good. It's all I good. love it. I love it. We were just talking about that actually a few minutes ago. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's a great day in that sense. So, so much. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We're, we're so excited to have you. Um, you know, your bio says that you were born and bred in Memphis and then you came back uh, after spending some time in D.C. So just curious to know why you decided to come back to Memphis and what made you decide to run for office. So I always say that I came home because to me, D.C. was like Neverland. You know, you can kind of exist in it as a young adult and um, just floating through political climates change. But the city's pretty much built for people in their 20s and 30s. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do more within my life. I wanted, you know, to have um, work that I felt mattered. I wanted to uh, feel like I was leaving the world just a little bit better than it was left to me. I hear you. Um, I just, yeah, I just really, I guess, in a way, started to have these, like, existential thoughts about, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, happy hour and work is not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know? I hear you, sis. I hear and, you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 2013. Trayvon Martin had been killed, which is really, like, kind of knocked me out of my rocker you know I was like chilling on U Street most days after work and all of a sudden I wanted to do more and um I also worked at the Navy Yard, and we were uh, victims of a domestic attack. Oh, wow. You were there during that time? Yeah. So it was my building that I'd worked in for seven years. Are you kidding me? So those were, that was the, like, IT team that I worked with that, Mm. you know, we lost. And that was really, really hard. And that makes you look in the mirror and say, like, am I going to bake cupcakes and go to parties and then (sighs) just chase a GS-15 for the rest of my life? Or am I going to do a little bit more? And I said I was going to go home to figure it out. Mm. Here I am. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, almost six years later. I know, man. That's powerful. And it's crazy that it's only six years, right? <laughs> but how much has happened and what catalyzed you to kind of like, you know, to reach a different level of self-awareness for yourself, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously as you came back, you know, as you came back home, you know, one of the first things you did um, was get involved. Um, well, not just get involved. You kind of helped lead the thing um, with, uh, with the initiative around Take Him Down Nine one campaign can you like talk to folks a little bit more about what that what that was about and and why it was so important for you to be a part of this effort 
Yeah, I, you know, was one of the first organizers around the movement for black lives here in Memphis following um, the lack of an indictment of Darren Wilson, who killed Mike Brown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just spending two years kind of in, you know, I think most people in this movement work were feeling fatigued. We weren't getting wins. Mm -hmm. You know, officers weren't being indicted. Policies weren't being changed. People's mindsets weren't really shifting. And I found myself often writing and reflecting about the fact that, you know, Nathan Bedford Forrest stood in the middle of my city. Mm-hmm. So I would give speeches that related to that. Angela Davis mm-hmm. came to town, and I was the introductory speaker for her. Mm-hmm. And I just said, welcome to Memphis, where Nathan Bedford Forrest stands in the middle of a city that's 63% black and 50% poor. Oof. You know, Jeez. and it just, he... He like he and his statue just became a symbol for me, you know, like of this vast inequity that people were refusing to pay attention to, that they were saying like we were doing this for attention or we were doing this because we had nothing better to do or we were focused on the wrong things. What about black on black crime? You know, like our girl Candace today. What about, you know, where are the black men? And I was like, no, the black men and black on black crime, all those things you keep making up, that systemic racism and generational poverty showing its symptoms Mm -hmm. and you know so (laughs) I made the statues the issue uh because I wanted to use them to illustrate the conversations people weren't willing to have Mm. and I built take them down 901 because I was frustrated I was fatigued and it was like look I can go back to grad school and you know at this point (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) I can like move to Seattle I can like you know, do a lot of things or I can find a way for us to fight. And I felt like we were able to direct a lot of people's attentions. Like I call you in, everybody, you know, feels like on the surface we should agree the statue should come down. So I call you in to come talk about this and then I bring up everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's how I decided to form that. Oh, man. I mean, I always say, Activists are the best, are the best organizers, man. Um, uh, you get us, you get us focused, and you there's no way you can stop us. So, um, but then you decided to run for office. What, what, you know, what, what motivated that? Well, it's interesting because, like I said, I'm sitting in my office right now, my commission office, and I'm looking out the window, watching uh, hundreds of youth, you know, organize have organized our version of the climate strike Mm -hmm. and on that same plaza where they are right now is where most of my activism played out um you know so so like i've led marches there i've been threatened by police there i've you know uh held crying mothers out there i've you know marched for women's reproductive rights i've marched for climate change i've marched for uh the movement for black lives and so forth and so forth right outside this window Mm -hmm. and i just had this moment where i was like why do we keep coming to this plaza yelling at these windows that no one's looking out of or paying attention to no elected officials come downstairs and join us you know so we need to get on the inside Mm. And I thought about, run, you know, I I ran for state office, uh, ran against a dyno, lost by about 700 votes. 
And the more I thought about whether I would run again, I went to uh, black campaign school, and that really invigorated me. I think Trump winning, you know, really made the resources and awareness about the need to support uh, millennials of color, women of color, um, which brought more resources. Like when I ran my first campaign, I, you know, raised $25,000 and had a team of three. We all just knocked doors all summer in the Memphis heat, you know. But after Trump won, money's flooding in, resources are flooding Mm -hmm. in, awareness is flooding in, and you start to see more activists being able to take that path because that path is so necessary. We should be on the inside and outside. Just like when I finish this call, I'm going to leave this desk and go outside with the youth of Memphis. That connection has to be there. Yeah, Mm. that's Mm. so powerful. That's really powerful. Um, So we did some Googling about, you know, your tenure um, on the county commission. Um, Well, Nelia and I love public transportation. um, And I saw that one of the biggest initiatives you spearheaded as county commissioner was to get $2.5 million into county funds allocated into the Memphis Area Transit Authority. Um, So I'm just curious, why did you prioritize public funding and what public funding for transportation? And, you know, what were the barriers you had to overcome to get that investment? So, you know, when I first moved back home, I didn't have a car because I just left D.C. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, he says, you got to get a car. And I said, I'll just take the bus. And he's like, when have you ever taken the bus? <laughs> like, in Memphis. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, it can't be that bad. I'm sure I just didn't take it because, you know, I was privileged and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's like, no, we didn't take the bus because there's no real bus system. And I was like, whoa, you know, not mm-hmm. really realizing that I really just hadn't noticed that um and so at first it was like for me you know I would love to just hop on a train or hop on a bus and not have to drive around everywhere and pay for gas and mm-hmm. find parking and all that other stuff um but more work that I did in community and more work I actually did in education when I saw that you know we have have been named the most seg- one of the most segregated cities in this country mm-hmm And that segregation is uh, connected directly to economics. So the way that our city is set up, if you can't get into the center of the city and if you can't get to the suburbs, you can't get to work and you can't get to resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Most of the low-income people in the city who are black and brown are living in food apartheid, are living in health care apartheid, and getting to where they need to go is expensive and time-consuming because our bus system is dilapidated and aged. We don't have an app to track your buses if you want to get a new bus pass we still have those flimsy paper passes you know I came home with a metro card in my pocket that I can still refill Mm -hmm. anytime I go back to DC over the last last six years you know (laughs) and so um just figuring out how to get people connected with jobs they pay a living wage, getting mm-hmm. people connected with the health care that they need, uh, you know, and we don't even have shelters. It was 103 degrees, you know, all, almost every day this week. And people are standing at bus stops with no signage, with no mm-hmm. um, where for them to sit down or have, you know, at least some protection from the sun and no way to communicate to figure out if the bus was five minutes away or 15 minutes away just waiting a lot of times yeah. we get so and, and for and for many good reasons like we get so consumed with everything that's happening at the federal level mm-hmm. that we forget about the fact that most of us lived our li- live our lives on, on street blocks right, <laughs> right? right. Um, and the decisions that affect our lives day to day in terms of like whether a bus shows up or doesn't mm-hmm. really comes down to people that are in roles like yours mm-hmm. right how long was the last time that somebody in that commission before you were there had a debate about buses? Oh, 
I don't know if they've ever had a mm. gotten this far because the county has always said it's not their problem, but right. the majority of the county is Memphis. Right. So, you know, before most of the power on the commission was held by suburban commissioners who don't use the buses, don't right. need the buses, don't want the buses. Um, and so for them, public transportation wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are the first body to make it an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's why representation matters. You know, a lot of yeah. times, like, you know, people will say, well, oh, it's just because she's a black woman. No, mm-hmm. it's because the identities in which she brings to the table, it means that she's going to focus on something different. Yeah. Right. right. The priority right. is going to be different. Right. So I just appreciate that so much. Yeah, absolutely. Switching back to the campaign side of things a little bit. So after you won your commissioner's race, you really were a rising star in the Tennessee Democratic Party. Um, And then much to the dismay of the party, you chose to run for mayor. So what inspired you? (laughs) What inspired you to run? The same stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Much to the dismay of the Democratic Party, (laughs) I did not wait. Uh, (laughs) But no, so um, it's bad here, y'all. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I don't say that we, I don't see a city government right now that's willing to do the tough things that need to be done to take care of the people of Memphis. Um, the priorities of our city right now are this like very um, targeted development in downtown and mm-hmm. in the inner corridor uh, to bring things. I mean, we're opening housing units starting at $1,300, again, in a city where 50% of black children are born below the line of poverty. $1,300 a month might sound decent to most people, but 40% of the adults who are employed in Memphis make less than a living wage, right? And so, like, how are we not talking about that data? Mm-hmm. I've got all kinds of statistics in my head. I feel like a walking encyclopedia, <laughs> you know, but the mayor is like, hey, we have momentum. And I, we ran to say momentum for who? Not for the people I work with every day, not for the people who call me, not for the people that I see, not for these schools that are closing or, you know, the first week of school, which is one of the most important weeks, it sets the baseline Mm -hmm. for the entire year. The first week of school, the majority, about, well, about six or seven schools were closed because of lack of air conditioning in 2019. Mm. And it's not a surprise city- that Memphis is hot. Like, <laughs> right. hello, right. you know? And, and, and so how, every year, right? <laughs> and really, if we pulled the data, we probably could find every week of a school year, a school being closed either for lack of heat or lack of air, depending on the season. <sighs> and so for me, I just, the current mayor is disconnected. And he's not only disconnected, um, what he does is ignores people's voices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gone up against him, you know, one-on-one as an activist, you know, and he's very dismissive when people say they don't agree. He, You know, his theme is, if you can't see the momentum that Memphis has, I don't know what's wrong with you. And what's wrong with them is they're poor. What's wrong with them is they're black. What's wrong with them is that they live in food deserts and and transportation deserts, you know. And we say apartheid now, right? That's like, and and people 
are like, oh, that's extra. Why are you saying that? This is what it is. Exactly. And we all know there's an economic downturn coming. Exactly. And Memphis, which relies almost solely on manufacturing and warehousing mm-hmm. jobs, mm-hmm. and we're still excited. Oh, Amazon's coming mm-hmm. to have a, you know, logistics plant. And it's not a logistics plant. It's a packing plant. Mm-hmm. And and we're still bringing these low-wage jobs. We're still um, – and, and and jobs that are going away. We're not preparing for the economic downturn. We're not asking, figuring out how can we get more tech jobs? How can we, you know, build our creative population here in Memphis and, and make that an industry? We're like, oh, more logistics companies want to come and pay people temporary work with no benefits to work mm-hmm. in the heat and pack boxes. That's exciting. <laughs> and I'm like, how we're not going to make it four years. No. And I know that recently, um, and I don't want to like sort of rehash the like sort of what, what's happened, but I know that, um, you know, recently some some recent tweet, tweets have been resurfaced around just um, some 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 stuff that came up when you were when you were younger. Can you just, you know, share with us a little bit what your journey has been um, to be an, to be an ally to the LGBT community? Absolutely. I wasn't aware of your identity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I just know that you have, you know, been a friend and a supporter and Mm -hmm. I apologize. Just want to make sure that you know that I hate how this has all rolled out and Mm -hmm. that it's hurt people who Mm -hmm. have been there for me, Mm -hmm. my own words, especially. And so I just want to apologize directly. I know you didn't ask for that. I know you're saying you don't need it, but it just matters that you hear that. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so, I appreciate that. Received and, and appreciated, then, yeah. So, yes, um, this has been a tough week. Mm-hmm. And it's been a tough week because, you know, people, I have hurt people in a way that it's hard to address. So I had to do a lot of work, a lot of soul searching to figure out how do I still show up for my community? How do I not retreat? You show up for everyone and everyone's not going to receive it. And even that is painful when you're like, why don't you, you know, recognize the work and the allyship that I've, you know, done Mm -hmm. over the last five years? How does that erase that? Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, it's about sharing your journey. And that's what I've started to do with people. Um, And I think it's been a healing journey for many people and has opened the door for many conversations that have still yet to come. I grew up as a, you know, upper middle class black woman going to church and just really not knowing anything about sexuality and gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. The words that I have now, the understanding that I have now, the allyship that I show now, like this is all a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I also struggled throughout life with the fact that I'm a tall plus size black woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having people be like if I wear my hair if I wear my hair short or if I wear wore my hair with, you know, cornrows, like, oh, you know, are you gay? Mm. You know, and, and me wanting to like defend or, or be super hyper feminine, you know, mm-hmm. like showing up in dresses, showing up with long weave because I didn't want to be seen as, you know, gay. Getting called Cleo when I wore cor- cornrows. Mm. If you don't know, Cleo is the character that Queen Latifah played in uh, Set It Off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I also just would be, like, super defensive. And, you know, and I talked about that this week. Like, now (laughs) it's, like, I – when that happens, I mean, I I get it all the time in this campaign. As I said, you know, my my entry into this race and then, you know, those two gentlemen having to see me – 
as an equal and refusing to do so because I've been named as a valid competitor of theirs um, and someone for them to be afraid of. Like, they throw things at me. She's not married. She must be gay. You know, people on the radio calling me a lesbian, and I don't answer to those. But five, six years ago, I would have been offended. I would have been angry. I would have been hurt. I would have been, like, writing an email saying, no, I'm straight. I like men. You could call this guy or you could call that guy. (laughs) And now I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Like, you know, because you're the ridiculous one. And Mm -hmm. if I were gay, I wouldn't be ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much. Like I used to like, the reason I used to fight so hard is because I felt like there was something to be ashamed of. And now I realize there's not. And that's because the LGBTQ community in Memphis, black and white, especially through my allyship and movement work, has taught me what it means to be an aspiring ally, has treated me with love, has welcomed me into their safe spaces, has taught me so much. And has forgiven me so it has been a journey Mm -hmm. i stand very strongly in the fact that the person i am today is an ally to the lgbtq Mm -hmm. community i know that my past words and actions don't match that but you know the last five years of my work have been shaped by lgbtq people showing up for me and me showing up for them and so i hope i'm able to continue this work Mm -hmm. and it seems that my community is willing to embrace that and move forward remains to be seen you know this again will always be a footnote in the story of who is tammy (laughs) sawyer but i'm willing to address it because i think that others will learn from it i mean i have to say you have such a bold and vulnerable leadership and that's such a unique set Mm -hmm. of like traits to find in 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 one person let alone someone that's actually also running for office i just want to say thank you for your for your vulnerability Mm -hmm. and thank you for giving us the time to walk through that journey for you because Mm -hmm. I know it's really easy to see something on Twitter and just write people off but if we're going to build a movement that is intersectional that is empathetic that is vulnerable people like you are so deeply necessary and I just I I hope you win I hope you win (laughs) that's that's actually that's a great that's a great transition yes the the last question I wanted to ask but actually I'm going to squeeze it in here which is can you give us your your 30 seconds Why should the people of Memphis be electing you to be their next mayor? The people of Memphis should be electing me to be their next mayor because I am the only candidate that has shown up this entire race. That means showing up in community centers for just about every forum that we've been invited to. That means willing to show up for debates when nobody else was going to be in the room. And because, you know, I've walked these streets with you, that I've shown up for you, whether it was in a moment of sadness or a moment of celebration. And I'm going to continue to lead in the way that I've led as a commissioner and that I've led as an activist, which means that this is a collaboration between me and the community. We are closed off right now from our leadership. Our leadership does not see us as valuable. Our leadership does not see our challenges as important. And I want to bring our challenges to the forefront. We have to protect this city. We have to protect the people that are in it and make sure that the next four years does not erase the identity of this city, the black people and the brown people who have made this city their home and who continue to be ignored. When's your election day? October 3rd. All right. All right. So these are our last two questions, (laughs) and they're going to just be the the, the questions that we ask all of our guests at the end. So, Gina, you want to take us with the first one? So we ask everybody, um, how do you take care of yourself? And not just in the (laughs) Like, how, what are the habits you have or the things you need, you need to do to keep you grounded? 
I usually say I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. It's a journey, right? It's a journey. The worst is when people give us a bullshit answer because we kind of know. So (laughs) I'm not good at it. People lecture me on it all the time. Half my phone right now is filled with like, I hope you're taking care of yourself. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Uh, But I do think the one thing I gave myself, you know, mini facial last night and I sent a picture to a friend and I said, this is how I know I'm starting to like emerge from the mess of the last week Mm -hmm. because I took care of my face. So I will say that's one thing is I'm like obsessed with masks (laughs) and different mud and clay things. My like vanity is full of them. So one of the only things that I do to take care of myself is at night I will, like, spend two hours doing a facial. That's what I'm talking about, sis. That's what that face be looking so mm-mm. That's what I'm talking about. So, so my last question, what is your call to joy and justice? It's interesting that you put joy in there because I often find in this fight for justice we forget that we're allowed to have joy. That's why I put it in there. search for joy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um you know, I think for me, my what caused me to join justice is just back to why I'm doing this race. It's back to me talking about my journey as, you know, becoming even more of an LGBTQ ally. It's the people I have met some of the most beautiful people in this world through this work and that's what keeps me committed you know uh the folks who have invested in me the people who have invested in my community the people who are putting their lives on the line every day to make this world a better place for justice for climate change for racial equality and gender equality and and so the joy that i get is you know going and being with uh people who are showing love by showing love for this world and and wanting more from it Mm. you are amazing, Tammy. <laughs> Honestly, you really are. I, I deeply appreciate, um, you know, you making the time for this. And, like, the reality is, is that regardless of what happens, Memphis got themselves a new leader. A new and leader. they've been knowing that. So if they don't know, this now will they know. This, now they know. So thank you so much. Good luck. I appreciate y'all. No, Take thank care. you. Have thank a good you. one. Thank you. Bye. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for this month. Don't forget to subscribe to Deep Democracy on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you won't miss our next episode. Deep Democracy is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producer, Amy Westervelt. Our theme song is We Can't Slow Down by Origami Pigeon. Our cover art was drawn by Alejandra Ballesteros. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Oh, run, run.